the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting from my offices in San Jose, California, in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. I've been here almost a year now in this new location, and I must say I'm enjoying being here very, very much. It's very close, a little more than a one and a third mile from my children's school, and it's not that far from my home either, which means that at the end of the day, it's uh, I can move around quickly here in the South Bay area. I can get everywhere I need to get to in here in the South Bay without getting on the freeways, which at certain times of the day is a blessing. Those of you who spend your time on the freeways going to and from work during rush hour, you know what I'm talking about. Um, at this time of day, this is kind of the early rush. So some of you are probably listening to me right now in your vehicles on 880, 101, and 280. Uh, If you're heading southbound, then you know it's going to be pretty busy on the way home, probably for the next three to five hours, especially on a Friday afternoon. I don't know if anybody's planning on going out of town this weekend on a little getaway, something like that. If so, I wish you the best, and I would just say watch out for people on the road there. Um, There are a lot of people on the road nowadays, it seems like, who learned how to drive uh, by watching Mario videos and got their licenses from a Cracker Jack box. That's what it seems like to me anyway. So um, with that in mind, let's dive right into the show. If you'd like to call in and ask me a question on the air, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. 1220. If instead you would like to email a question to me, you can always email me at radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, radio at lawbob dot com. And uh, if you email me there, I'll be happy to answer your question on the air. I'm going to go ahead on my phone here and open up that particular email account so that if anything comes through, I see it there. So it's 800-516-1220 or radio at lawbob.com. Just to let you all know, um, last year I did many, many living trust seminars out of my office and even a couple out in the community. Um, I'm still available to do them for organizations, but 
for um, the foreseeable future, I'm not doing living trust seminars out of my office. I found that uh, I was giving up too many Saturday mornings um, doing the job of educating people, which is a good thing. But I was giving up too many Saturday mornings and keeping me away from my wife and my children. So I'm putting a hold on that for now. Uh, If you would like to watch my seminar, you can always go to my YouTube channel, Law Offices of Robert P. Bergman. I have a seminar up there that has over 50,000 views to date. Uh, It's a few years out of date now, but the numbers have changed, but the underlying law and the and everything that's behind what I talk about in my seminars has not changed. Um, I'm planning on redoing that seminar and making it available as an on-demand webinar um, sometime in the future here. I've got so many different things that I'm working on simultaneously that uh, sometimes I I wonder if I'm going to get anything done. I'm sure some of you out there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I just finished the draft of a book that I'll be coming out with in the next probably couple of months or so on the types of court petitions that I do. It's going to be a physical book that will be available on Amazon, and it will also be an e-book that's available on, should be available on Amazon as well, or will be made available for download from my various websites for the various parts of my law practice that I engage in. So, excuse me, continuing on now, uh, as I have for almost two years now, I'm going to cover some more questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, What that means is I'm going to be doing some um, actual situations that people have gotten themselves into or or in the middle of throughout the state. And then I will uh, give a summary of what I believe to be the law and analysis, and maybe even some proposed solutions. So let's see, the first one here. I'm paying a mortgage in California. Both my wife and my names are on the title. Will my wife get the house if there's no will? Well, chances are excellent that if you're both on the title, you're probably on either as joint tenants or as some form of community property. And in both cases, you pass away, then uh, your spouse is going to receive your half of the property and now own it. Uh, If it's joint tenancy, it will be by operation of law. If it's as community property, uh, your spouse can file paperwork with the recorder, um, clearing the title into her name. So I'm assuming that the concern there is uh, this person wants to make sure that the property goes to his wife if he dies before she does. And um, that's fine. That works out just fine. Okay. Can the trustee of an irrevocable trust sell real property from the trust? Okay. My parents started a trust in both their names in 1994. My father passed in 1995. I've learned through my sister that my mother is planning on the sudden selling the property where I've lived since 1982 as she's unhappy that I have my three grandchildren living in the home, one of which is autistic. I have never seen a copy of the trust. I've only been told certain things uh, about one which is I am guaranteed my home for life. 
My mother has made this threat several times, primarily to try to keep me in line with whatever it is she wants from me. She states there's no monies left in the trust, and I recall my father stating she was to be cared for before all others. She has her own revocable living trust and at least two other parcels other than the one I live in. Can she sell the one I'm living in, which would effectively leave me homeless? The short answer is a definite yes, no, or maybe. It goes back to what does the trust say about this person's right to live in this property? Was the property left in trust for this person? Um, Or was it left in trust for the mother? Um, There's no real way to answer a question that's posed here without seeing the actual trust document. And I have people all the time calling me up, coming in to see me. They want answers to questions. And I say, it all starts with the trust document. Uh, Everything else is just speculating as to what the trust document might actually say or not say. So in this case, it could be the person does have a lifetime right to occupy the property and the mother, even acting as trustee, has no right to just sell the property out from under the person. But there's no real way to tell just by looking at it. So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. I want to tell you, you can call in if you'd like to ask me a question on the air. It's 800 516 1220. You can also email me at radio at lawbob.com if you have a question you'd like me to get into on the air. Maybe you're shy about talking on the air, talking publicly. Um, It's hard. I'll tell you, it's hard getting on the air first time. But you know what? I'm gentle. I'll I'll help you through it if you want to call in. So After this first break, we'll be coming back with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. If you'd like to call into the show today, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Or you could email any questions you may have to radio at lawbob.com. Radio, R-A-D-I-O, at lawbob.com. Now, I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, I have found uh, a number of people have called me in over the last couple of years or called into my office and said, hey, when you talked about fill in the blank, it really hit home. That happened to my family. We're dealing with that right now. That's why I do this, because I find that there are a lot of situations out there that are not as uncommon as people think. A lot of people think, you know, gosh, I'm the only one that has ever had to go through this situation and then they're surprised to find out that other people have experienced the same issues the same problems often from the same types of siblings or other relatives so i'm going to continue on starting with a situation that is actually 
fairly common and probably shouldn't be. This person said, my brother who obtained power of attorney from my dad changed my dad's decades-old last will and testament where all seven children were to inherit to a trust where my brother made himself the successor trustee and sole beneficiary of about $3 million of property. Now, first of all, let's say, um, uh, let's talk about this. Someone acting under a power of attorney would generally not be able to have the ability to create a trust for the principal, that's the person who signed the power of attorney and granted the power, uh, creating a living trust, leaving everything to themselves. Uh, In this case, it says he did not notify any other siblings he made changes, that they were eliminated, and he was the sole heir. He said, quote, Dad didn't leave you anything. He left me everything, and I don't have to talk about it. Well, depending on how old Dad was, depending on Dad's mental state or mental ability at the time all this was done, depending on how the brother was interacting with the father, was he living with the father, was he taking care of the father? Uh, did he exercise influence over the father in such a way that um, in such a way that the father felt like he had no choice but to turn around and leave everything to the brother because maybe otherwise the brother wouldn't take care of him and, or would abandon him or or made threats or things like that. In a situation like this, where someone goes from dividing things between seven children to suddenly giving everything to one child, to me, that sets a, that's a red flag right there. That it is very possible that there is something going on that was inappropriate, that was in violation of law, uh, perhaps even illegally in violation of law. In a situation like this, I would suggest that the family get together, that they go to the adult protective services in the county where they're going and report this and say they believe uh, that there may have been financial elder abuse uh, with their brother dealing with their um, dealing with their father. They might also consider filing a lawsuit contesting the trust and the terms of the trust Um, and then see if they can, through discovery, determine what their father's mental state was, his physical health, things like that, uh, and then find out who actually drew up this paperwork. Did the brother do it on his own? Did he use an online service like a LegalZoom or Susie Orman? Did he use a local attorney who wasn't an estate planning attorney? Or did he use a, a highly competent estate planning attorney? All of those are things that I would ask as an attorney to determine whether or not there was appropriate or perhaps inappropriate behavior on the part of the brother. But it certainly doesn't have good optics when suddenly um, a seven-way division that's been around for decades suddenly becomes everything all going to one person. Okay, now here... um, I don't have a specific recollection if I covered this last Friday, and if I did, I apologize, but it's an important one to cover, and if I covered it before, I'm going to cover it again right now. 
The question is, can my deceased sister's husband force me to sell the house or sue me? Here's the facts. Dad passed, and his will states that after five years of the anniversary of his death, my sister, his daughter, is to receive $20,000. It says the trustee is to pay her, and I'm the trustee. She passed one year before the anniversary of dad's death. So that's basically after four years. Um, and now it says it's to be given. Let's see. It says it's to be given to her or her, uh, I guess, her heirs by right of representation, probably her issue, meaning children. Her husband sent me a letter, he wrote, saying he wants the money and he has an attorney. I don't have the money. My father never set up an account with the money, nor did his trust state where the money was to come from. The condo he left is in trust, and I own two-thirds. My other sister owns one-third. Can my deceased sister's husband sue the trust and force a sale of the home? Well, here's the deal. If $20,000 was to go to the now-deceased sister, otherwise go to the deceased sister's heirs, which would, in this case, might very well be her husband, then if they can't come up with the $20,000, the husband could go to court, force the sale of the property to get the $20,000 because it's money that's owed by the trust. In a situation like this, what I would do is say, uh, um, is is say that uh, you, you need to find some way to get that twenty thousand dollars. If that means getting a twenty thousand dollar loan on the property to pay off whoever's entitled to receive it, that's what you need to do. Failing to do that, then yes, there could be a lawsuit filed demanding the twenty thousand be paid. There could be a judgment for the 20000 from that lawsuit, which could be levied against the property, and the property could be ordered to be sold. That's just the way it is. When you owe money and you have real estate, someone can get a judgment against you, and they can force the sale of your property in order to pay that judgment. Okay, well, we're coming up on the second break of the show today, and what I'd like to do is, uh, again, throw out the number, 800-516-1220, or radio at lawbob.com. When I come back after the break, I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. So, until we come back after the break, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio here in San Jose, California, and I will talk with you after we come back from the mid-show break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue on with more of the questions and answers from around the state of California. And uh, moving on with that, let's talk about this next one here. And this uh, this one here I can 
see hear the frustration um, that this family has. Um, he said, when dad died, he had an outstanding lawsuit going with a pharmaceutical company. He had a tight, revocable family trust and account set up so we would not ever have to go into probate. The law firm handling the lawsuit for the estate says they must have letters of administration or testamentary letters to proceed. No one in the family can afford to open a full probate on the estate. We learned that any monies coming into the estate could be written out to the estate and deposited into the estate fund. Okay, let me tell you why they need to have a probate filed. When someone dies and there is a legal claim that can be pursued, or they had a legal claim going, a lawsuit, a trust doesn't have anything to do with the personal rights that someone has in court. So if someone dies with a pending lawsuit that they're pursuing, then they have to open a probate estate to continue prosecuting that lawsuit. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that's in the living trust now has to go into the probate. The probate is limited to whatever actions are necessary to take that court case all the way through to the end. And if a judgment is obtained, then the funds can be paid to the estate and in turn can be paid out uh, to the trust from the estate. But the trustee of a trust has no authority to pursue a claim against a company that was a personal claim of the person that had died. So that's why they need to do this. Um, Having a trust set up doesn't safeguard against having to go to court if there is, in fact, a legal um, a legal claim that's being pursued, uh, and it'll have to be pursued through the court. So that's kind of an unusual situation, but it's not unprecedented. If someone died because they they died because of an accident, uh, their estate might be suing the driver of the other car or or whoever might have been responsible for that accident because of a wrongful death claim. Uh, If that's the case, the trustee of the trust is just there waiting to see if any money comes in from that claim for it to be turned over to the trust and ultimately distributed out to the beneficiaries of the trust. Now, here's someone who says, I'm the beneficiary of an irrevocable trust created in California, and the trustee, who's a family member, lives in another state. Uh, I've been notified that the trustee will be administering the trust from their home location, not California, which state is the trustee's fiduciary duties governed by. It's still the state of California. It's a California trust. California law applies. Uh, The fact that it's being administered from another state, what that really means is that the person is going to be collecting monies, dispersing monies, probably using a local CPA to do any tax returns, things like that, rather than trying to administer the trust in California long distance from another state. It can be done both ways. I've handled trust administration where the where the uh, successor trustee was not a resident of California, but we did everything on the telephone. 
Uh, they visited now and then because they had real estate they had to handle, and they'd come in. We'd do paperwork, or we can overnight paperwork. I can email paperwork to them, have them return it back to me. So it's possible to administer even from long distance, but um, sometimes people would rather work with somebody local to do all the kind of paperwork, and that's perfectly appropriate to do. There's nothing really wrong with that. Now here, let's see, I think I already covered that one. Oh, okay. I'm helping my friend and his mother set up a living trust for her. She owns her own house and three small out-of-state properties. Will my friend lose his Medi-Cal, that's government-assisted health care, typically will he lose his Medi-Cal coverage if he becomes the trustee of mom's trust when she dies. Well, his Medi-Cal eligibility has nothing really to do with him becoming a trustee or not. His eligibility would have to do with whether or not he's receiving his mother's property when he dies. So, um, and that's the issue. If he's going to inherit that property and the out-of-state real estate, that could mean that he loses his eligibility uh, for Medi-Cal unless he were to move into his mother's property and uh, and make it his residence and then put it into a living trust of his own. The out-of-state properties, that might be sufficient assets to cause him to lose his Medi-Cal as well. So um, working with mom, there maybe there's some consideration, maybe sell those properties, turn them into cash, uh, sell the current residence, move closer to the sun, maybe buy a new residence uh, using all the money and make sure that mom owns it in her trust when she dies. And then the surviving child can move. If they're already living in the property, they can turn around and put it in their own trust and not lose Medi-Cal eligibility. Okay, mom and dad, as the settlers or stores or trust creators and original co-trustees, they own a home and they put their trust into the home. The trust provides that when one of them dies, their daughter becomes the successor co-trustee with the surviving spouse as the other co-trustee. Now, mom died. May we file an affidavit of death of trustee and state that Pursuant to the trust, dad and the daughter are now the co-trustees of the trust. Well, yes, you may do that. That's actually precisely what you would do. Only uh, an affidavit of death of trustee is not something that is specifically recognized in California law, but an affidavit of change of trustee due to the death of a trustee and also acknowledgement of the daughter now coming on as a co-trustee, uh, I do those kinds of things on a fairly regular basis. Either after one parent passes away and now there's a sibling taking over, I mean a, a child taking over as the new trustee, or someone serving as a co-trustee, that is what you would do. You would let uh, kind of file a document that shows that the mother died and that now there are two trustees uh, you'd also be doing a new certification of trust that now lists dad and the daughter as the co-trustees. That's something that's 
often overlooked. But um, those would be typical things that would be done as part of trust administration, which is something I do in my law practice, which is trust administration. Okay, my husband and I both have one son each from a previous marriage. I've owned my home for 40 years. I married my husband 10 years ago. I want my home to go to my son only. Can his son be entitled to my property? We live in California, a community property state. I originally had a will that says my son gets my assets and my home. Now that I've remarried, does it mean that my husband's son would get his half of my assets after death? My husband says it should be 50-50 to each son. Well, this is not so much an estate planning question as a family law question. And the the answer generally would be if it's your separate property and you've kept it separate from the marriage, um, then that means that um, you can leave the property any way you wish. However, your spouse may have some kind of marital property rights, uh, like the right to be taken care of when you die, which could include the right to receive some of the property or the right to live in the property or something like that. Uh, if if the husband doesn't have any assets of his own to live on. So this is really a family law question. It's another one of those where the answer is a definite yes, no, or maybe, because there's a lot more facts that would have to be determined. How was the property handled? Um, was money used from the marriage to maintain the property? Were promises made from from this person to the spouse? Is there some kind of expectation there that was in writing? Uh, there's a lot of different things that could come into this to determine whether or not there, in fact, would be some kind of claim from the husband if the wife died first or if everything would go to the wife's son. Okay, can a co-trustee who's also a beneficiary delegate trustee duties to a relative? So there's two people who are co-trustees in an irrevocable trust. Um, Both are beneficiaries. There's no other beneficiaries. I would like to transfer my duties to my daughter. Is this possible? Well, if the trust says that you as a trustee can resign and appoint your replacement, the answer is yes. If it doesn't say that, the only real way to do that is to go to court and request that your daughter be appointed as a co-trustee to serve with the other family member. The other family member doesn't have to agree with that and might actually resist that. Uh, Maybe they don't get along with your daughter. Maybe they want to be able to just handle everything on their own. But um, there's not a quick and easy solution unless you have a well-drafted trust that gives alternatives. So we're coming up on the third break of the show. Talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back for the final segment of the show today. Uh, Still a chance to call if you have a question, 800-516-1220. Barring someone calling in, 
I will continue on and close out the show today with more questions and comments from around the state. Now, here's someone out of Southern California says, I've been caring for my mom for five years. The last two have been a lot of work, and at 103 years of age, she requires my full attention. The family trust was drawn up in 2006 and doesn't provide for her care, and at this point, any decisions would be made by the two oldest siblings. Is it legal to designate a portion of the estate, the family home, to give me caregiver compensation? Most of the estate would have been used up by now if it hadn't, if I hadn't chosen to stay with her in her home and care for her. Well, if the principals agree, meaning if after mom dies, everybody gets together and says, you should get compensation or you should get a bigger share, they can work it out as a family to make sure that the sibling that actually took care of mom for five years, uh, an elderly mom who needed probably a lot of care, um, that that person actually get a greater percentage as a way of compensating them for the work that they did all those years. Um, it's not something that could be put or hardwired into the estate plan because it sounds like mom is probably past the point of being able to make any changes to the trust. But if a family works together and they're agreeable, they can certainly decide among them that this sibling should get more of the property as compensation. Uh, just make sure it's not characterized as compensation. They can set it up so that, that more just goes to that person. Now, um, I have a power of attorney, which is a general durable power of attorney in California. It does not specify that living trust can be created. I've been asked to help create a revocable living trust. Well, first thing I'd say is, asked by whom? Asked by the, the person who gave you the power of attorney to act for them? If they're asking you to do that, then, first of all, they probably have or should have capacity to make their own living trust. If they're asking you to go and find someone to help make a trust for you, that's fine. But if a power of attorney does not explicitly give the authority to create a living trust for someone and to transfer property into that trust, then the answer is no. Just having a general durable power of attorney in California doesn't automatically give the power to create a revocable living trust. It has to be stated in the power of attorney that the agent under the power of attorney, called the attorney in fact, actually has the authority to set up or create that revocable living trust. Here we says, uh, my husband created a living trust, noting his 50% share of our house is to be given to his sisters. Do I have to sign the documents? Well, let's take a look at this. Um, if the property is owned jointly on title, if it's joint tenancy property, the husband creating a living trust is not going to have any effect. He dies, it all goes to the wife. If it's community property, then the husband does have the right to direct his half of community property to go wherever he wishes, but he would need to do that by directing that in a will that in turn directs it to be paid to the trust that he set up. If he just does it in the trust, 
that's not going to be successful. If they own the property as community property, the husband can't just transfer his half of the property to his living trust because it's community property. And the transfer of community property while both parties are alive has to be with the consent of both the husband and the wife. So um, there may be some serious issues. It doesn't sound like the husband got uh, may have may have gotten bad advice or just did it on his own and doesn't realize that it may have legally no effect at all. But this is again one of those situations where I'd say I need more information to determine whether or not um, this could be even effective, whether the husband could actually um, have this be effective to to do these transfers that are being indicated. Okay, here's a, this is going to be the last one for the day today. Someone says, I have a special needs trust set up for me by my stepmother's attorney. I'm permanently disabled and on SSDI, which is disability income, but the trust paperwork lists me as being on SSI, supplemental security income, which is specifically for people who are disabled and can't work. SSDI means the person worked at some point and then became injured and can't work anymore. I'm concerned that having the trust say I'm on SSI when I'm actually on SSDI will cause problems. See, SSI is needs-based. SSDI has nothing to do. You could be a multimillionaire on SSDI. The lawyer insists it doesn't make a difference. And I would say, yes, it doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is if you are actually on SSI, that's something that's documented. If it says you're on SSI but you're not saying it in a trust, doesn't mean you're on SSI. You actually have to be on SSI to be on SSI. Okay, so wrapping it up for today, uh, this is state planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio. I hope you learned some things today. I hope you consider, uh, if you want to come in and have a consultation, contacting me. I'm happy to do that. But until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you next week. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.